You are listening to a Live City Church podcast, and we hope you'll experience Jesus today. We are excited to have you join our extended online church family. If you would like further information or wish to access more content, please connect with us on our Live City Church Facebook page or visit us at livecitychurch.com. This morning we wanted to do an Easter presentation that was a bit different than a normal Sunday service. And so uh, my wife is going to get into character now, and she's going to get into place, okay, over here. But I just want you to imagine with us a scene as we move along. Uh, reading from a passage from Hosea chapter 1, verse 2 to 11. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Deblaim, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. And the Lord said, Name the child Jezreel, which means God will sow, for I'm about to punish King Jehu's dynasty to avenge the murders he committed at Jezreel. God will sow? So what? What do I have? A lowly prostitute. What do I have to sow other than misery, impurity? Why do I have this life here? What will I sow? Soon Gomer became pregnant again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to Hosea, Name your daughter Lo-Ruhama, which means no mercy, not loved, for I will no longer show love to the people of Israel or forgive them. Not loved. This child, not loved. Not loved. I don't even know who the father is. This baby was not conceived in love. Not loved. That's more like it. Great. I've now got more daycare fees. Who will look after these children while I have to go out to work? Who even wants this baby? After Gomer had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she again became pregnant and gave birth to a second son. And the Lord said, Name him Lo-Ami, not my people, for Israel is not my people, and I am not their God. Another baby. Another baby with, I don't know, I was married. I don't know who the father of this baby is. Not loved, not my people, not my people. That's because I belong to no one. No one. I am a wasteland. How can I even feed all these children? Look at them around my feet. They're dressed in rags. Not my people. I can't even provide them with a family name. Not my people.
The story of Hosea and Gomer is one of those awkward love stories. How is it possible that God commands a prophet of God to marry a prostitute? Because the word of God in the law actually states that to people, uh, religious leaders, they are to only marry virgins and from a right family, from a priestly family. Not only did God go outside of the priestly family, he goes and finds someone that is so completely different from the kind of woman that a prophet should actually marry. This kind of love that God talks about and this story illustrates a deeper point. It's a metaphor an allegory between what you see in the natural realm, how God feels towards us. Hosea chapter 3 goes on with the story. It's just so awkward. Go and marry a prostitute because I want her to fail you. Go and marry a prostitute because she's going to have children. They won't even be your own, but you're going to raise them as your own. You're going to love them as your own. You're going to own them. They're going to come under your name. And everything about them and all the shame that, ca- that is carried with bastard children like this, they're going to reflect your name because that's who you are, Hosea. After this point in time, the name of Hosea is not mentioned again, probably because of the reputation and the images it conjures because it's so embarrassing. Think about the story. Hosea chapter 3 goes on to say, Then the Lord said to me, Hosea is recounting these things. Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. This is a marriage that is set up for failure. I know that when we get married, our every intent is that we'll be forever after. This is our once upon a time, and they lived happily ever after. Unfortunately, we're so imperfect that even in this place and in every church, you'll find that the marriages fail. They say that in society today, it's about 51% of non-Christian marriages fail, and and the church is no better. 37% fail. And yet, this particular marriage is set up for failure. There's a point where God says some things that we just find simply uncomfortable. God said, go, find her. But where do you find a prostitute? You're not going to find her in the church normally. You're not going to find her in the nice places. You see, Hosea had to go to places that were shameful. Hosea had to go to places that were dark. Hosea had to go to places that no man of God should ever be found in in order to look for his wife. Do you think that God is only interested in you when you're clean? See, when we, when we hear the story, we're thinking of ourselves as Hosea. We're the ones with that unconditional love. We'll go to the highways and byways to make things right with the people we love. But we're actually more like Gomer than we are like Hosea. We are the ones that have broken his heart. We are the ones that have failed him. And those moments we say, God, I'll follow you for the rest of my life. And a year later, you find yourself back in the same routine you were in before you ever came to Christ. Do you think God is only interested in you when you're clean? Don't you understand that this house of God is created for people who are imperfect? 
The moment you start thinking to yourself that I am perfect, that I'm right with God, you're in the wrong place. The house of God is a hospital. The house of God is a preparation place for an army. It's changing you. It's developing you. It's making you more than you are. But so often when we are hurt, so often when we feel broken, that's the one time when we think, I don't belong in the house of God. I don't belong in church. What will the people think of me? Everyone's thinking the same thing. We have those hidden sins that we never want to talk about. Everyone has a skeleton in your closet. Do you think God is only interested in people who had their lives together? Your life is not together. You are a mess. That's why we need a Savior. That's what Easter is about. It reminds us that we cannot do it on our own steam. We cannot do it with our own mindsets. We cannot do it with a human perspective. It will always fail you. God said, go. Go and find your wife. Go. Go and love again. But how do you love when your heart has been so savagely betrayed by not one, but many lovers over and over and over again? Again, it's a metaphor. In your own life, you've probably had people hurt you. They've made promises to you. My word is stronger than oak. Well, what kind of oak tree are you when it breaks all the time? You're a weed. (laughs) Sad part is we're probably those people that made those promises. What other emotion am I supposed to have when I've been rejected over and over and over again? It's hard enough to love people who are supposed to love you and have made commitments in the past to love you, but how are you supposed to love people when the Word of God says, love your enemies, do good to those who persecute you? I haven't got love figured out at all. I don't understand. I'm standing before you and I'm speaking my heart. I don't think I truly understand the kind of love that God wants us to have for each other. I don't think the church has got it because we set such a poor example to the world that they look at us and they point fingers, and rightly so. We've made so many mistakes. How are we supposed to love the way that God wants us to love? You can't do it and retain your dignity. You can't love and retain your pride. You can't love and do the things that you want to do. You can't love and try to be comfortable. You can't love and live for yourself. That's no love at all. God is saying, I want you to love the way that I love. The prayer of Jesus, the actual Lord's prayer is not our Father who art in heaven. That's our prayer, how we're supposed to pray. The prayer of Jesus was, Father, Teach them to love us and love each other the way that I love you and you love me. That they will enter the one ship that we have. They can be part of this one ship. The Bible says, how will people out there know we are Christians but by our love for one another? And yet we do the most horrendous things to each other. Sometimes in the name of Jesus. 
Most of us in this place have been hurt in a church at one point or another, and you've dragged yourself to another church and hoping you won't get hurt again. Unfortunately, we're so blemished, we're so flawed, we're going to hurt each other again and again and again. But what we need to understand is family, blood. We share the blood of Jesus in our veins. We made that confession of faith. We are first generation Jesus. And that means that you can't just walk away from your family. It means that you can't hate your family member. They're part of your flesh and blood. They are you. And if you can't love them with all their mess, how can you expect God to love you with all your mess? What other emotion am I supposed to have when I've been rejected over and over and over again? How many times am I supposed to forgive? How many more times am I supposed to hope for a better outcome only to see that outcome dashed? That kind of rejection does things to people. It forces you to do things you never thought you would do. It forces you to feel things you thought you'd never feel. It forces you to hate them. and makes you look at them differently because they failed you over and over and over. And even when they try and do the right thing, it makes you question their intent. Where have you been? What have you been doing? Who's their name this time? What flus have you been with this time? Are you planning to come home? Hosea said, was told, go. Find your wife. Go. Love again. But where do you find your wife? In the dark places? The Bible tells us. But by the time he found her, it was not in a great place. God says, this will illustrate that the Lord still loves. The Lord still loves. The Lord still loves you. The Lord still loves Israel. When you see that word Israel, you need to replace it with me, with you with people, because the Lord spreads his love with everyone. The Lord still loves, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. Verse 2 says, so I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. Let me tell you what happened in the story. It's not a pretty story. He marries this woman commanded by God, knowing full well she's going to fail him. Knowing full well she has a history of sleeping around with other men. I want you to marry her because that's the way the people are towards me, God says. You say you love me, but you go and do other things. You say you love me, but then it's always conditional love. You say you love me, but then you're spreading yourself with all these other loves in your life. You love your work. You love your career. You love your family more than you love me or my house. We constantly compromise and we think it's okay, but to God it's not okay. It's times like this that we understand the love of God. It's not okay, but he still loves. That's what the story is for. That's why he's here. And so what happened with, with Gomer was that she began sleeping around. The first son was probably their son. The second was a daughter. 
it was a bit questionable. That's why the names are a bit odd. The, the next name, Jezreel, God will sow. But he's talking about punishment because we're not sure that this is my actual son because she's been sleeping around so much. And by the time she had the final son, Lo Ruhama, it actually says not loved. That's the name of Lo Ruhama because now God's, God's saying, Hosea, it's not even your kid. Not even your son. She's been sleeping around so much, she has no idea whose child this is. Well, the story goes on. She slept around, was so unfaithful that she was no longer charging for her services. She actually left Hosea, was living in her own apartment. She's sleeping around like a prostitute, but after a while, she enjoyed it so much, she wasn't charging her clients. And now she's not paying her bills. And now she owes the creditors so much money that she has nothing left to give, and none of her lovers will come and protect her. She's on her own. You ever hit that point where you're at rock bottom? What will it take for you to fall in love with Jesus again? Do you need to hit rock bottom before you find him again? When you have no other hope and you remember, oh, I remember the faith of my mom and dad. Oh, I remember the faith that I had when I was a young man. Oh, I remember the... What will it take for God to get your attention? So he finds her. He searches for her. And he finds her not among the prostitutes now. She has lost so much money, so much dignity, so much shame. He now finds her being sold as a slave because she has nothing left to give. You can imagine how the auction is going off. Okay, now we have item number 51. Item number 51. Can I see a hand? For item number 51. One bushel of wheat. Item number 51 going. One bushel of wheat. Two, two, two bushels of wheat. Gone for two bushels of wheat. Anyone else? This is a fine-looking woman. This is a fine woman. She's still young enough to bear children. That's it. Five bushels of wheat. Thank you. I see five bushels of wheat. Anybody else? Five bushels of wheat. Five bushels of wheat. Come on. We can do better than five bushels a week. Can I hear six bushels a week? No, six. Come on. How about five and a half bushels a week? Okay. Five and a quarter bushels a week. Can I see any? Look, she's still got many years. She can still serve. Maybe you can't have her as a wife, but she'll serve you like a fine slave. Like a fine slave. She's got more many years to serve. Can I see five bushels and a quarter? Five and a quarter bushels a week. No hands. Not going once. Going twice. At the back. Of the slave market, one hand raised. One hand was raised. What can I hear from you, sir? I will offer you the full price of a slave. Fifteen coins, and I will give you the five bushels of wheat. Fifteen coins, five bushels of wheat, going once, going twice, sold to the man in the back. But that's his wife. She belongs to him. Why should Hosea have to buy his wife back? So your wife failed you. Okay? You never moved. You never shifted. You always loved her. She's failed you. But now you have to go and chase her down. Now you have to humiliate yourself and go to her and just say, Honey, I love you. I'm so sorry, honey. But it wasn't even my fault. I didn't do it. She walked out on me. Isn't that the way that we normally... Treat our loved ones. She failed me. Why should I be the one to apologize? Because 
there's a cost to love. It cost God to love you. He paid for what he already owned. The Bible says he made you before you even formed in your mother's womb in the secret places. He formed you with all your talents, all your skills, all your potential, all your ability. He formed you. He knew you. He made you. And now he has to buy you back. God found you naked, dirty, chained, but he still asked, how much? How much will it cost? The price? Death. Life for life. It would cost him everything. Despite every sin, despite every heartbreak, despite every doubt, despite every profanity, despite every addictive behavior, despite every cruel word, he says, how much? Because you're priceless. To him, you are worth it. And he'll do it over and over again. He will crucify himself for you. Whatever it takes, his life for your life because he loves you so much. I'm going to ask the greeters to come forward now with, have we still got the pencils and paper? They're on the chairs. On your chair, you've got a piece of paper and a pen. I'm going to ask my daughters to come back up and, and bring a song. But here's what I'd like you to do. I know, being a pastor, having spoken to so many people, that everybody has something in their life that they feel disqualifies them from the love of God. You don't feel good enough. Something that's holding you back. It's that sin that you did. It's that sin that you're repeating. It's that addiction that you've got in your life. You tried to kick it, but it over and over reminds you what a loser you are. And you feel like you are not worthy. Can you write that down during the song? I'll give you permission. Look down on the piece of paper. You don't even have to look up. But I want you to be very secretive because I want you to be very open and honest with God. No one's going to see this piece of paper. You'll see what we'll do with it in a moment. Okay? But I want you to not look at the person to your left or to your right. I just want you to respect them for this moment. But I want you to think through, you know, what is it about me that I feel unworthy to be loved by God? I feel unworthy to be used by God. I feel unworthy to even serve him. I want you to think about that while the girls sing the song. I want you to write it down very private. It's just between you and God. Don't even let the person to your left or right see what you're writing. Okay? And then I'll give you an instruction. You can fold it and fold it again and just hide it. I want you to hold it in your hand during the song. Thank you. God goes on to speak to Hosea. And he says these words. He says, but afterwards, the people will return and devote themselves to the Lord their God and to David's descendants, their king. In the last days, they will tremble in awe of the Lord and of, and of his goodness. I want you to understand, here in this passage, a prophet's being told about a king that will come one day named David, 750 years earlier, before there were even kings of Israel. But afterward, the people will return. Afterward, the people will return. I love this because it tells us that God has this idea in his mind, a hope for you, a destiny that you will return to him one day. doesn't matter where you are in this journey, but 
Are you returning? Are you coming back? He's saying afterwards the people will return and they will devote themselves to the Lord their God. In the last days, they will tremble. Other versions say fear the awe of the Lord and of his goodness. See, up to this point in time, the people feared God because of the retribution of God. They feared God because of what he would do. They feared the wrath of God. But here it's telling us that in the future, they'll fear God's goodness because his goodness to you will be so overwhelming. I looked up the name Hosea to find out its meaning. It's very interesting. Hosea is actually another name for the word Joshua. It means deliverer. It means salvation. Jesus had a similar name. Jesus is actually like Joshua, like Hosea. It means deliverer, but Jesus' name, salvation, is of God. Salvation. That name Gomer is interesting because her name, if you look it up, initially it means complete. But if you dig deeper, you find a bit more about that meaning. It actually means the sense of completion of failure. It means to cease. It means to fail. It means to fail to perform. It means to bring to an end. You cannot have a Gomer and have a life of hope unless you have a Hosea. And God's saying, I am your Hosea, Gomer. I am your hope. As we gather around at Easter, and this is Easter Sunday, what I love about this is that Jesus rose from the dead. He didn't remain on that cross. Because if he remained dead, then it means he could never take away your sin. You and I were born into sin. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is nothing that you can do to gain his salvation. There's nothing you can do to make your life right. In fact, one man cannot die for another to save that other person because we ourselves are a people of sin. The only way that we could fix the sin problem is someone who is both man, because only a man could die for another man, but also have to be God, to be perfect and without sin. And Jesus knew there could be no other answer but for him to lay down his own life. Today... I want you to take that piece of paper. Did you write down something in that piece of paper? Okay. Open it up and read it one more time, what you wrote down on that paper. Just privately, don't show anybody else. It's just between you and the Lord. Look at that list. I want you to take that pen. I want you to rub it out now. Strike those things on that piece of paper. Empty it completely. And then in large letters, I want you to write, P-A-I-D, paid, paid in full, paid in full. There's no portion of that list that God has not already paid for. Every imperfection, every addiction, every deep, dark sin that no one knows but God does, paid in full. I want you to write that down. Cross it all out so no one else can read it. Now, once you've done that, I want you to crush that piece of paper up until it's nothing because it's worth nothing now. It's been paid. This is a symbolic act that you're doing. It means something spiritually right now. You need to see it tangibly in front of you. Crush it in front of you. Your past is forgotten. Your past sin 
When you said, Jesus, forgive me, he crushed it up. He said, it's mine now. That sin belongs to me, not yours anymore. That addiction, not yours anymore, mine. That awful thing that you did, it now belongs to me. I did it. You didn't do it anymore. Here's what we're going to do next. We're going to partake of communion. I'm going to ask Zach to help me out, bring that table over here. We're doing things a bit differently today. You're going to find two baskets in the front. If you can get that track ready, guys, in the back, get ready to play it. What I'd like you to do, we're not going to read this, by the way. We don't know who's is who's. You've crossed it all out. But I, I, you need to do this. At the cross, we dumped everything, every sin, every horrible thought that we had, every wicked word that was spoken was you can leave it at the cross. So what I'd like you to do is to come as a song is playing. When you're ready, just pray it up. And just say, God, I receive your gift of salvation. Thank you for making my life right. Thank you for your forgiveness. And thank you for removing all my guilt today. So I want you to come. Just make your way in this direction. You might have to go around the chair as you come up here. And I want you to put your piece of crumpled paper in there. Leave the pens. You can throw the pens in there as well. Then I want you to come here. We're literally going to break bread. For those of you that love the Jewish people, I'm sorry. It is leavened bread, not unleavened. <laughs> I know. Please, actually, I'm going to break the bread. I'm going to pray for it for a second. But I want you to rip open a piece. And I want you to help yourself to a cup. And find your seats. Don't eat just yet. We'll wait till everyone is seated. But what I'd like you to do is I just want you to cast your mind to Jesus in Calvary, dying on that cross, and imagine that he is looking at you and remembering every sin, saying, it's mine now. Okay? It should cause you to smile. But I just want you to reflect on that as you find your seats. Thank you guys for that track. We're just going to break this bread now. Nothing like an abrupt ending. I've seen the most dramatic things happen in a time of communion. Um, people being healed, you know, they need healing, and so they partake of the communion every day until they get their healing. For others, it's for deliverance. They need deliverance ministry, and they will partake of this, drives the demons crazy. For others, like today, it's a reminder to us of the sacrifice of Jesus. There's a cost. This isn't free. He paid for you. He paid for me. And all he asks is that we remember, which is what we're doing today. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As you partake of this piece of bread, I want you to understand the Bible says that by his stripes we are healed. For salvation, all Jesus needed to do was to die. There was no reason for him to be beaten, to be whipped, to be scourged, have his beard pulled out, to have his head repeatedly hit with a staff by a company of soldiers numbering in the hundreds. But it mattered so much to him that you don't just get spiritual healing, but you also get physical, mental healing. So as you partake of this bread, and if you have a, a need in your body, you need healing, take that bread and say, Lord, I receive your healing in Jesus' name. Let's partake together.
Lord, we thank you for your healing. Thank you for touching our bodies. Thank you for suffering for us. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Without the death, we would not get forgiveness of sins. He had to die for you and for me. So as you partake of this cup, he says, this is the cup of the new covenant. An old covenant says that you have to work for your salvation. But the new covenant, it says that you'll never be good enough. So Jesus will be good enough for you. So if you receive that gift of salvation with me, let's drink together in Jesus' name. Father, as we come into your presence this day, as we reflected on the words of Scripture, as we reflected on our lives, Lord, we just want to tell you how much we love you. We want to tell you how much we appreciate you. And we want to tell you that we remember you today. Thank you for your sacrifice for us. Lord, may we live our lives, our bodies, our talent, our time, all of it. May we live it sacrificially for you to pay you back, Lord God, for all your goodness to us. We love you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Can I invite you to stand to your feet as we close the service? I hope that it was special to you as it was for me today. While we're in this place, in this solemn moment, can I invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me? We cannot let an Easter go by without giving you a public opportunity to make your life right with Jesus today. As I look around this room with every head bowed, every eye closed, perhaps this is the first time that you've understood truly the sacrifice Jesus made for you and truly how much he loves you. And as I've been speaking, you felt something is different about you. Something is lifting. Something is changing about you. Perhaps you've been a Christian before and you have made a decision for Jesus before, but today you find yourself drifting away from him. You've been like a kite and the string has been cut loose and you want to reconnect with him today. If that's you, I also want to encourage you in just a moment to indicate your response by raising a hand right where you're at. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to embarrass you because this is something that is personal, but you also need an opportunity to be able to say, I crossed the line today. And we're going to do that by just getting you to raise your hand so you don't trip over the chairs. It's very simple. That on the count of three, I'll ask you to raise your hand. You're saying, I want to know Jesus more. If this is your first time. For others, you're saying, I want to come back to Jesus. I want to make my life right. On the count of three, that's you. I want you to raise your hand just, for, just long enough for me to see it. And then you can put your hand down. Are you ready? One, two, three. Let's see those hands. You're saying, that's me. Pastor, pray for me. Yep, I see your hand. God bless you. You can put it down. Thank you. In the middle, you can put it down. Thank you. Yep, you can put it down. Anyone else? This is just between you and the Lord. I'm just going to hold you as a witness so you can say, I raised my hand on Easter Sunday of 2019. Is there anybody else? Just three more seconds. Thank you. See that hand? God bless you. You can put it down. Anyone else? Just so we don't lose this moment. Three more seconds. If that's you saying, I don't want to miss our pastor, please pray for me. Three, looking around the room. 
Two, is there anybody else? I need to see it nice and high. One, thank you for those hands that were raised. Can I get the church to repeat this prayer with me just so we don't embarrass those who raise their hand? Like I said, no one's going to be embarrassed. But if you raised your hand, you're saying, I really mean this from the bottom of my heart. I'm going to say this, and I'm speaking to God and to him alone. Are you ready? Say this prayer with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your gift. And I receive it willingly. And I receive it thankfully. I can never be good enough. That's why I keep sinning. But I want it to stop. Jesus, forgive me. Wash away my sins. And give me your spirit so I can live for you. Amen. Let's give a hand to all those that made a decision this morning. God bless you. Thank you for joining Life City Church, and we hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. If this ministry has made an impact on your life, we'd love to hear from you. Please drop us a line and share your story at thanks at livecitychurch.com or email us your prayer needs at prayer at livecitychurch.com. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about your story. If you love the ministry of Live City Church, you can make a financial gift to help us spread the good news of Jesus by going to livecitychurch.com and clicking the giving tab. We hope today's message has spoken into your life and look forward to your next visit.